those situations that the cows are telling us that that something's going on beyond those warning signs uh, and lab results that we get back, then we're probably going to take some action of some kind. A whole new era of communication in the dairy industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the global dairy industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. DSM Furminish. Mycotoxins can threaten feed and cattle performance. DSM Furminish offers a portfolio of solutions to help mitigate the impact of mycotoxins in your feed. Fibro Animal Health Corporation. Healthy animals, healthy food, healthy world. Diamond V, because animal health deserves a healthier approach. Berg and Schmidt, your partner for improving animal performance. Welcome to the Dairy Podcast Show, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the global dairy industry. Welcome back to the Dairy Podcast Show. My name is Barry Bradford from Michigan State University, and today I'm very pleased to welcome Corwin Holtz to the show. Corwin, thanks for joining us. Uh, Pleasure to be here. I appreciated the invitation. So Corwin, you're joining us from upstate New York. Um, yes. Can you give us a little bit of your background? Did you did you grow up there? Where where did you? No, nope. uh, actually a California native. I uh, grew up in the industry uh, in Northern California, about an hour north of San Francisco. Uh, very active industry uh, back in in my days of high school and college uh, back in the nineteen seventies. Uh, pretty much turned to grapes since then. Uh, Still a few dairies up there, but very much uh, wine country anymore. I went to Cal Poly and uh, got my degree in dairy science there. Uh, Worked in the AI industry for a couple of years, and I managed a commercial dairy uh, back in my home hometown for three years, and then uh, made the decision to uh, go back to graduate school, and that's how I ended up in New York. Uh, Came and did a master's degree in Ruminant nutrition combined with uh, reproductive physiology and management. And uh, spent some time in academia after that. Uh, and then a few years in the commercial feed industry. And then uh, doing tech support work primarily, a little bit of research. And then uh, since 2004, uh, March of 2004, I formed a independent consulting uh, business called Holtz Nelson Dairy Consultants. Uh, over the years, uh, that group has grown to uh, eight individuals here in the Northeast, uh, pretty much uh, Eastern Ohio, a little bit of Northern Pennsylvania, all of New York and New England. Your cattle are constantly threatened by the exposure of mycotoxins in feed. Now you can know if mycotoxins are present in your feed and what you should do about it. DSM Furminish offers a range of analytical services to assess the mycotoxin contamination and solutions to combat mycotoxins. Don't let mycotoxins contaminate your performance. Learn more at dsm.com forward slash ANH-NA. Had a lot of experience over the years. That's that's pretty seen neat. seen a few different things. It's been a, it's been a great career. Been a great career. And how, how do you describe your role today uh, within that group? I, I assume you're mentoring some of the some of the younger members. 
Yeah, I'm slowly uh, gotten to the edge where I'm slowly phasing out to some degree. I still have some active clients that I work with day to day, do some mentoring, uh, especially over the last uh, two to three years. Uh, have handed some of my herds off, uh, my clients off to uh, some of the younger generation in the group, but still, still very active, keeping busy with it. Uh, uh, retirement for some people is uh, completely shutting it down, uh, not for me. So, still, uh, still keeping active on a day-to-day basis. Good for you. And I'm just curious because you know different nutritionists. Uh, handle this differently. What's your typical approach to working with a herd? Are you stopping in once a month and and touching base beyond that? Or how do you? Uh, Depends on the herd. Um, I'd say my visits are probably closer to every two to three weeks. Mm -hmm. I have a client in Ohio, just travel situation there. Uh, uh, That's pretty much a once a month uh, situation. But then Definitely on the phone, text messages back and forth uh, in between visits, uh, whether it be just sending them updated diets or coming across information that I want to share with them, uh, thoughts that we've had since the last visit and how things are are progressing. If we've made some significant changes, want to want to make sure that we're tracking those and trying to try and stay on course as best we can. Makes sense. Well, one, one of the things that we wanted to talk about today was mycotoxins. And I know at least in, in Michigan this year, that's a very hot topic. We had a very wet fall and everybody's talking about that. But, um, you know, with your years of experience, I'm sure you've been through um, multiple, you know, years of, of these kinds of challenges. And I guess the first thing I wanted to know is like, is, is it typically on one of your visits or is it a phone call from a client that gets that topic on the radar in the first place? Uh, I'd say it's a combination of them. Uh, remember a situation a few years ago where we had some T2 toxin in a herd. Mm-hmm. Got a very, very quick phone call from the client because uh, cows were dying. Uh, it was, uh, we had a, a very uh, bad load of whole cottonseed from down in the south. And, uh, it took its toll pretty much overnight. Um, and then, you know, other times uh, it'll be walking cows, making observations. Uh, I do as we get into a new crop year on particularly corn silage where we feed such heavy corn silage diets in this part of the country. I'll usually do some basic testing on, on new crop material. Uh, my testing protocol is usually if I if I or the, the producer uh, feels that we maybe have an issue uh, is usually to do TMR testing to begin with. Just kind of see uh, what the whole package is entailing relative to any mycotoxin loads. If we see something there, then maybe we'll dive into some individual ingredients starting uh, with the forages or if we've got things like high moisture corn or snaplage on the farm, uh, start testing those individual ingredients after that. But TMRs are where I'm going to going to start doing my testing. And you, is this, you're sending normal samples in and you're just adding this with the regular uh, analytical lab you work with, or do you go to a special lab? 
So we've got a couple of companies, uh, and, and they're not just here in the Northeast, but mm-hmm. uh, a couple of companies that are involved in mycotoxin mitigation products. Not that they can legally make that claim, but sure. um, uh, they uh, they are very active with us in uh, sending samples into their labs and uh, sending us back reports. Usually, it's about a week turnaround uh, that we get those get those results back. So that's been our primary testing at this point in time. Um, have been comfortable with both companies and the results we get back and then, you know, help us make a decision uh, what direction we need to go if, if we're going to do anything from a mitigation standpoint. And many times, you know, those samples come back clean. That's great news. Sure. But uh, many times, yeah, we do have a load of something or a mixture of, of toxins that uh, come back to us and then we've got to make decisions on what we're going to do mitigation-wise. That brings up one of the complicated pieces of this. Um, so I, I suspect you're like me. I more or less for an initial review, I'm going to trust the sort of green, yellow, red signs they put yep. you know, on the different toxins they've analyzed to, to sort of see if it's a problem. But what if you've got four or five that are all in the yellow range? Like, do you do you start worrying about sort of additive or or? Yeah, like you start to get these situations where, you know, we're only generally testing for seven or so okay. you know, major yep. mycotoxin groups. We know that there's a uh, hundred more out there potentially that could be part of the part of the stew that's uh, in that TMR in an individual feed. Uh, if I get all those yellows like that, uh, then it's going to be a matter of what are the cows telling us? Yep. Now, have we declined on intake? Are we losing some production? Is uh, is repro being compromised uh, that we see? Uh, you know, do we do we have the loose manure issues that we can't attribute maybe to anything, anything else? Uh, the rough hair coats that just aren't making sense relative to the way the diet's been put together. So, you know. In those situations that the cows are telling us that that something's going on beyond those warning signs uh, and lab results that we get back, then we're probably going to take some action of some kind. Gotcha. And then, are there particular? Uh, let's say you have a borderline TMR. Are there particular ingredients you're going to look at right away? I mean, for example, like. Um, you know, byproducts that, that have been concentrated at some level often are top of the list, or how do you approach that? Yeah, um, you know, when we appear to have some bad corn years, uh, probably going to be a little less uh, likely to be feeding heavy distillers, not that I'm a heavy distillers feeder uh, to begin with, but we're yep. certainly going to look at something like that, um, you know, on-farm, uh, if we've got some high moisture corn uh, issues or snappleage issues uh, that we've tested, you know, maybe we've got to adjust our, our feeding rates, uh, maybe bring in some more uh, dry corn into the picture. Uh, so making those decisions on a year-to-year basis, crop-by-crop basis, is is what we're going to generally do. Okay. And you already gave the example of the cotton seed, right? That can flare up. Yeah, yeah. Sure. That, that 
quite honestly, that was the worst situation I've ever come across in a in a in a herd where everything was rolling along fine, and boy, a load of feed shows up. In this case, it was cotton seed with just. I actually had two herds that that same fall. Um, had the first herd producer called me, said, "Hey, we got some dead cows here. What's going on?" It wasn't probably two weeks later that a load of cotton came into another client. Boom, same exact thing. And all don't know if those loads came out of the same gin uh, down south, but uh, it was definitely southern sourced, you know, whole cotton yeah. seed. That's frustrating. I'm just curious because I've almost never heard of that in ruminants. Um, did, did any of those animals get necropsied? Was there uh, like specific organs that showed really clear damage? Uh, I had some liver damage. Okay. Uh, didn't do very many necropsies, but it was the little bit they did do. Uh, there were some, definitely some liver liver issues that uh, showed themselves. Yeah, it makes sense. So maybe we should spend just a just a minute on the different toxins. I know most dairy producers are familiar with aflatoxin because that's that's the one that's really monitored for right. milk contamination, right? Have you ever run into that in, in your part of the no, world? No, uh, knock on wood, uh, here yeah. in the Northeast, we just, you know, at least me personally, and I certainly don't hear it uh, from others in our consulting group and, and even other consultants that are, in this part of the country, aflatoxin has not been a been an issue. I generally, you know, tend to hear about that down in the southwest and yep. uh, and the southeast and all. Um, so no, that's one that we uh, have never fortunately had to deal with. Uh, for us, it's uh, primarily Dawn or uh, vomitoxin. Um, some T2 occasionally, like say the cotton was the worst one I'd have ever come across. But we've we've had some smaller T2 levels in, in some other situations. Uh, Zeralinone is the other one that pops up in our part of the part of the world. Um, and uh, we definitely, if we've got these high Zeralinone levels, then we're going to see it in repro uh, performance uh, fairly fairly quickly. Uh, start to Physically, if it's really severe, start to see some swollen vulvas and other mm. other signs that xerelinone brings about, and then just start to see uh, reproductive performance relative to preg rates, conception rates, etc. You know, dropping off. Okay, and you can see that within weeks. You think? Yeah, I, yeah. It, it'll take a little bit of time, but uh, you know, get a test back. You got the high xerelinone level. Uh, you know, you're gonna potentially be dealing with some repro repercussions if if we don't uh, try to mitigate it in some manner. Okay, so we we've kind of talked through, you know, some of the strategies that you take if you run into some contamination issues, but probably the hardest situation and I I know I've dealt with this once or twice is if you've just got a really rough crop year and essentially all of your homegrown forage is yep contaminated right and so you can't i mean short of rolling in tons and tons of expensive forage um it's pretty hard to completely cut that out of the diet right and you have to feed it at some yeah. point yeah so yeah where do you go there that's the trickiest part then i think it's a matter of okay what's showing up uh uh there are some products out there from from different companies uh i think it's a matter of uh, looking at the research they have 
seen, uh, you know, what appears to be uh, impactful as far as certain uh, toxins go relative to their product and research. I think it's uh, very wise to uh, try to get these companies to to get you some independent research they've done with their products so you kind of know what, what kind of efficacy you you are hoping and, and might expect uh, if you're going to put them into a diet. You talk about a terrible year. Uh, I don't recall what year it was, but this is probably 10 or 12 years ago. We had a, a very poor crop year, and I remember uh, one consultant, uh, the only way they got things uh, calmed down in a herd was almost 50 cents worth of binders and, and mycotoxin products going in. I just, you know. Wow. Per yeah, I was using some, yeah. but I wasn't anywhere close to 50 cents a cow a day. That uh, that was pretty pretty amazing. But, you know, uh, it's kind of the cocktail he felt they had put together to try to yeah. calm things down. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. So you said binders. Let's just touch on that. I, probably most people are familiar with that. But um, when when most of us refer to binders, we're talking about clay products, typically bentonite clay. Correct. What's what's your uh, take on that? And those are very effective on on aflatoxin. Yep. <laughs> uh, which we don't, as I said, we don't deal with a great deal. Right. In this part of the country. Generally, if it's not a a extremely high level, but I feel if the cows are telling me something, that's the first place I'm going to go is just we'll throw some bentonite in there. There's a few different uh, bentonite products in the marketplace. And uh, that, uh, you know, when, you know, some of these products have some aluminum silicate in them too, mm-hmm. um, along with the clay. And so, you know, that's kind of the first place I'll start if I've just got a low level, but the cows are telling me that, uh, hey, something needs to be addressed here. Uh, after that, uh, if we if we are getting the responses that we're, we're expecting, then I'm going to look at some other products in the marketplace that uh, tend to have some other uh, compounds in them that you know, these companies have researched and, uh, you know, not only they're a, a binding or a absorbing uh, a compound, but uh, they may have some enzyme activity to them and some other properties that are maybe going to address a little wider variety of, uh, of toxin issues that might be in the mix in a herd. Okay. Yep. And I think you alluded to this before. It's, it's probably worthwhile for people to know, but basically because of the regulatory structure uh, in the U.S., um, it's very difficult, if not impossible, or at least financially infeasible for a company to to demonstrate the evidence needed for FDA to approve for them yeah. to have a claim that they can mitigate mycotoxin issues, correct? They are <laughs> What you generally see is they are flow agents. That's why they go into a feed mill as a, a feed mill as a flow agent. But yeah, you're exa- exactly right. There is no FDA approved uh, binder absorbent, whatever you want to call it, uh, here in the U.S. And I think it's very limited over in Europe. Uh, I know they're they've got a little bit of uh, approval on some things there, but. Uh, here in the U.S., yeah, 
nobody can make a mycotoxin mitigation claim uh, unless they want to get their hands slapped by FDA. So th- these different levels of uh, interventions you've talked about, and you talked about an extreme one where, uh, you know, uh, someone else feeding a herd was spending maybe up to 50 cents per yeah. cow per day. But um, correct me if I'm wrong, you, you look at the prices a lot more than I do. The it, typical bentonite product, you're looking at two, three, four cents a cow a day. Yeah, something like probably, uh, probably four to six cents a cow a day. Yep. And then uh, as you get into some of these m- multiple compound products, uh, generally going to run in the eight to 16 cents a cow a day is what uh, where my, my costs typically end up uh, landing on those, those quote, specialty products that are, that are in the marketplace. And how, how do you talk through that with, with the producer? I mean, some of them I'm sure just trust you to make the right decisions, but, you know, we're in a low margin environment right now. We often are. Um, an extra 15, 20 cents per cow per day is not a trivial cost. How do no, you, no. how do you justify that, you know, that there's going to be a return on that, that investment? Well, I think it's a matter of uh, getting the producer to understand on two different levels. Hey, this is the test we got back. This is yep. what the analysis shown us. We've got something here. And, you know, then what are the cows telling us? Have we lost some milk? Uh, you know, if we've lost, you know, a couple pounds of milk, I can pay 15 cents and, you know, justify it uh, pretty quickly to, to help get that milk back. Yep. Um, you know, one thing I've always, you know, really emphasized in my nutrition work, and I think most all consultants do, is, is just overall cow health. Um, as you well know, on the farm, we can't uh, measure immune function very easily. Yep. But we can certainly walk cows and get a, a a very good sense of are these cows healthy or is something just you know not right? You know, I go back to the rough hair coats or mm-hmm. eyes and ears that just aren't looking right in the herd wide basis. You know, something's something's impacting them impacting them immune function wise, and as a result. You know, we're we're dealing with a situation where potentially losing productivity, maybe repros are going to be uh, compromised down the road. Uh, and we've just got a herd that is just not as healthy as what we're accustomed to. And I think once a, once a producer, I mean, they know their cows, they see it. Um, and, and that's not the direction they want that herd going by any means. Yeah. So they're they're pretty open to okay, we've, we've got to give something to try. Uh, I, in most cases, uh, if we get the right uh, uh, clay or some of these other products into them, we can see a pretty quick, quick turnaround. I'd say okay. within one to two weeks. So it's, it's not something that we have to wait months for to see if we're going to you know, get, a, get a change in the herd and, and get a response from, from the intervention. So... I think from that standpoint, it's a pretty easy discussion in most cases with with producers who who know their herd of cows, know what they look like uh, when they're milking well, when they look healthy, and if if things aren't uh, there as they're accustomed to, then discussion's pretty easy actually. Okay, I like that. As as, my, as excited as everybody is about you know digital agriculture, and and there's lots of 
place for that. There's, there's still a lot of value in being able to, to see a cow, right. And to, yeah, to notice those changes. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, whether it's the way we put a diet together or a mycotoxin issue or whatever, you know, as we all say in this business, the cows are the final answer. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's what the producer is concerned about. And, and, and like I say, they know their herd of cows and they know when they're not right. So then what about on the backside? So let's, let's say you invest, you know, 10 cents a, a cow a day in some additives to try to mitigate an issue. Maybe you do, maybe you don't know the source of the, the feed that's bringing a lot of the mycotoxins. When do you start thinking about pulling that back out? Do you, do you wait till the end of the crop year or how do you approach that? Uh, I'd say, you know, if, it, if it's an on-farm forage situation, particularly corn silage in our part of the world or high moisture corn, snaplage, um, generally it's going to go through the crop year. Yep. Yep. Until we're, or, you know, maybe we wrap up feeding that contaminated uh, toxin load uh, high moisture corn in May. And, you know, then we're going to go all cornmeal. Uh, our corn silage is clean. Oh, okay, yeah, time to time to pull it out. So it's okay. going to be a, primarily an on-farm on forage situation, on-farm grain situation more than anything else. E- even further back in, in the system, uh, I know this has been a big topic in Michigan lately. How much do you talk with your customers about um, fungicides on standing crop? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm not an agronomist. agronomist. I don't pretend to be one. (laughs) Um, As you say, there's much more discussion about it uh, anymore. It's it's one of those investments that, boy, are we going to have a bad year or not? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We just don't know ahead of time. Uh, I'd say there's some producers that are going ahead and biting the bullet to try to try to mitigate it uh, at the field level and others uh, they just can't bring themselves to make that investment because they just don't know you know really what return they're gonna get on it uh, year after year um, you know from from my understanding a little bit of uh, research I've done and talking a little bit to producers who have played around with that yeah um, they feel if they do end up with maybe a quote healthier crop, but again, if uh, if we've got stressors such as uh, you know storms coming through, you know things like bird damage, uh, you know that that's fungicides aren't going to mitigate you know severe bird damage in a yep. in a crop, and it you know any of those stressors that potentially are going to bring mold activity into the into the crop or and they can come from a, a variety of ways uh, fungicides you know being one potential uh, aspect of mitigation but uh, there are certainly other stressors that those aren't going to address so, so I don't know I don't know what the right answer on that is and and I, I think a lot of producers they're they kind of scratch their head too and um, as a matter of fact, I'm headed to an agronomy meeting later this month, and that's a, a question I have uh, for the agronomists in that room is what are they seeing out in the field relative to producer uh, acceptance or, you know, are, are they being more aggressive with it or not? 
I don't know if you're dealing with it yet or not, but uh, tar spot is pretty prevalent in Michigan now. And um, it, it, it's frustrating for producers because we'll have one real bad year. And then a lot of people the next year will invest in sometimes multiple fungicide applications. And yep. then that'll be a year, of course, where there's none of it. Everything's clean. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then you give up and the next year it's bad again. Yep. So no, that, that is the dilemma. Absolutely. Absolutely. Corwin, you live in a state where like there, there's a, there's a ton of ag, ag's a very important sector, but there's also a lot of people. One of the questions we like to throw at people, uh, especially at this stage in your career, if you could afford to put up a billboard on one of the, the main highways between say Buffalo and New York city to teach people one thing about the dairy industry. Well, what would you, what would you put on there? <laughs> well, first of all, I don't think we need to put it, put billboards between Buffalo and New York city. We just need to put them in New York city. Okay. Fair enough. Yep. Um, <laughs> so much of our ag policy is, uh, is fought in Albany and, and really impacted by downstate New York city politicians and, uh, I belong to an organization that does a lot of, a lot of lobbying in in Albany for for ag uh, related issues, and it's a it's a constant battle. But um, you know, we've got some great producers uh, here in the Northeast that do a lot of uh, uh, public uh, speaking, or they're on TikTok or whatever social media might be that you know try to deliver a very positive message. But uh, if I was to put up a billboard, and this is really off the top of my head, uh, uh, if there's no ag in New York, where's your food coming from? I mean, it, the typical consumer, unfortunately, just has very little realiza realization of uh, uh, where, where food really ends up or comes from it, that ends up in a grocery store all I'll never forget my father going to a, uh, a California milk board hearing one year and, you know, a consumer advocate was up testifying. And, and I can't remember exactly what the issue was, but, uh, you know, if, if you get this law that you're proposing, you're going to really decimate, you know, agriculture. In this case, it was the dairy industry as far as uh, getting milk to the to the consumer. And honest to God, she she made the comment, well, I don't have any problem getting milk. I just go to the grocery store. Oh, my goodness. Just, just a complete, uh, you know, no no sense of the real world and where food comes from by any means. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's a battle. And I'm sure, you know, California is fighting their battles. Michigan is fighting their battles. Uh, you know, you get the. In our case, the downstate uh, uh, politicians that uh, we we constantly do battle with. Uh, we've had we've actually had here in New York politicians make the comment that if there wasn't a single dairy in the state of New York, they'd be fine with that. Scary, very scary. Yeah, I'm looking out for number one. Yeah. yeah. It's time for our famous three. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Exelite, a Novell product for management of hypocalcemia. It's uncomplicated excellence. SmaxTech, get insights from inside your cows with SmaxTech for higher herd health and profitability. 
Our Yeast 40, Ruminal and Intestinal Double Modulation by ICC Animal Nutrition. Ivonic Animal Nutrition. We're sciencing the global food challenge. Adiseo USA, producers of Smartamine M and MilkPay.com. When it comes to raising healthy animals, you need more than the right solutions. You need the right partner who brings decades of industry expertise and a global team to put that knowledge to work for the advancement of your operation. At Fibro Animal Health Corporation, we are proud to work with you as your trusted partner. Okay, well, we've got uh, our three famous questions we, <laughs> we throw at everybody. I'm looking forward to your answers here, Corwin. So our first one is, what is your go-to dairy book or resource that uh, that you'd like to turn to? Well, this is probably a little bit out of the mainstream, maybe, but I still go back to Pete Van Soost, huh. uh, fiber book, and... Uh, you know, every once in a while I'll read a chapter in that or if I'm looking at a diet and want to think about things a little bit, I'll go back and read a little bit of Pete's book. Uh, I was very fortunate in graduate school to be able to take two courses from him. And, uh, you know, he, he, he changed the new dairy nutrition world in, in many, many ways uh, with the research he did over his career. So that's, that's definitely a go-to for me. Absolutely. Is that called the nutritional ecology of the yes. ruminant? Is that? Yep. Yeah. 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 Correct. Correct. Classic book. Great. Yep. Okay. Now I think that's the first time I've gotten that answer. That's good. <laughs> uh, what about this one's really broad. What's your favorite book or resource outside of agriculture? Oh boy. For pleasure reading, I'm a mystery reader. I mean, that's oh, okay. what I, enjoy is is reading reading mysteries uh um and then for my wife and i we we do a lot of traveling so you know just scouring the internet and scouring uh, travel books and all to kind of see where our travels want to take us next sounds great do you have a favorite mystery author uh probably balducci or baldacci yeah oh yeah yeah Last question. In your opinion, what sets successful dairy professionals apart from those who are less successful? They are good cow people, but even better business people. Producers that I work with that I see now and I view as being here in the next, you know, for their careers, they have a top line and that is profit but profit done in, in the right manner. I think this labor issue uh, is becoming more and more critical. I just heard a speaker the other day, a very successful producer from the Southeast, and you know, creating the right culture for labor on a farm. Um, it's not easy work at times, but if you can re- create the right culture, uh, make them part of the team, uh, then things are gonna move in the right direction. Um, and you know, good cow people are, they're hard to find, but boy, when you find them, they are worth their weight in gold. Uh, some of the producers I work with, you know, I've been, been blessed to be around some very, very good herds people that, you know, cows are number one. Uh, that's their moon focus day in and day out. Healthy herd leading to high productivity, high repro. Um, so 
Yeah, combining combining the cow part of it, but also very much so the the labor and business part of it to to move the whole operation you know, forward. Um, I remember a very successful dairyman here in New York uh, many years ago when I was on the fact at Cornell. He said, "You know, my if I don't grow ten percent per year in some manner, might be herd size, might be profitability, might be a." another aspect of my operation. But if I don't grow 10% per year, um, I'm falling behind. And I've always always remembered that comment from him and felt that was probably a very wise uh, uh, business philosophy to, to have. Yeah, that is good. Yeah, like you said, it may shift year to year what the focus is, but right. you have to have that right. growth mindset. Well, Corwin, as always, I've enjoyed the conversation with you. Uh, you've got a lot of great insights and experience and thank you for sharing it with everybody on the podcast today no my pleasure i uh, appreciate being asked and uh, hopefully uh, something uh, can be taken away from this uh, for some other uh, producers out there and maybe some other consultants also no doubt for sure thank you well, this has been another episode of the dairy podcast show thank you for joining us and if you haven't subscribed yet don't forget to hit that button so you don't miss the next episode see you next time Looking to elevate your brand and captivate audiences through the power of podcasting? Look no further. Introducing the custom podcast brought to you by Wisemetics, where we take care of the behind the scenes so that you can focus on what truly matters. Podcasting has become an invaluable tool for brand awareness, but let's face it, putting it into practice can be a daunting task. It's incredibly time consuming and requires technical know-how, but don't worry, we've got you covered. With our experienced team at The Help, we'll handle the operational aspects so you can channel your energy into what your company does best. Are you ready to unleash the podcasting potential of your company? Schedule a call with one of our specialists today at the link in the bottom of this episode. You'll also receive a free podcast strategy consult tailored to the unique needs and goals of your business.